Welcome to Trial by Wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmidt, Swanee and Clarkie visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, Trial by Wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. All right, how are we? Not too bad, yeah? Good, Going good. very well here. Excellent. Got Scratchy McScratchy over there, otherwise known as <laughs> Shapanda slash Swanee, who loves to fiddle. Loves to fidget. I'd let's yeah. not say fiddle. Can yeah. we say fidget? Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I think fidget's a much better <laughs> I, way of saying I, I'm, it. I'm more comfortable with fidget. <laughs> Definitely so a fidget. Just think of the, the more <laughs> old-fashioned yes. and joyous way as opposed to me. I don't want to be known as the fiddler. Yeah. yeah, the fiddler. <laughs> yeah. The fiddler no, on the roof. I do try to remove as much of the little scratchy, scratchy, scratchies of her textures and drawing as we record. Every now and then I can't quite get it out, though. So oh. if anyone ever wonders, what's that noise? It's Swanee. It's scratchy, McScratchy. Yeah, it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a way of managing, I think, the stress of it all. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly. Well, I am doing something that has never been done before in my life. I am recording from the houseboat itself today at Lake Ilden. Yay. So no longer do I am I required to. I'm race quite sad to the about that in some ways. <laughs> at Alexandra, or podcast in a car because I can't get any internet. I've finally uh, taken the leap and I've got Starlink and so far so good. So that's exciting. Farewell to the good old days. Oh, look, I'm still having, you know, I had to spend the last three days charging my batteries so that with the generator, probably annoying everyone around me, just to make sure I had enough power to be able to run Starlink and the laptop. So that's all good. And it's pouring rain. So if you do hear the pitter-patter of rain, I can't get it out. I can't filter it out. Sorry. We're on a boat. It's the boat life. <laughs> and what about you guys? Swanee's got uh, nothing? I don't think I have anything, actually. I was, thinking, <laughs> I was like, I'll let Clarkie go. What have your boys been up to? We're, we went uh, camping on the Murray for about four nights, which was There you beautiful. go. That's something. I've got yeah, nothing yeah. like that. Oh, that sounds lovely. Did you get <laughs> some good weather? koalas and kangaroos and goannas. Wow. Yeah, we did get some good weather. Oh, my God. It sounds like I'm going to have to call you like Blinky Bill. Oh, it's a little bit like that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I suppose I should introduce us. I'm Schmitty. I'm Swanee. And I'm Clarkie. And together we are Trial, Trial by, by Wine. And what are we drinking? Well, Diet Coke. Next. Straight out. <laughs> yeah. we, this could be a clean slate of no one drinking wine today. I'm actually having a Great Northern, which is a mid-strength oh, yeah. beer. Oh. Yeah, and yeah. it's, uh, yeah, quite nice. We've been having a few of them this week. And you, Schmidt, are you well, going to save us? Well, I was, I'm going to save you later, but right now, because it's, I'm going to do the story, I'm keeping neat. But I'm uh, drinking a no sugar jump lemon from Aldi. Ooh. I also have a bottle of soda water next to me, but just for shits and giggles, I have a little mango chutney in a little glass. Which Thank I goodness. Uh, yeah, gosh, three mango drinks. Oh. That's confusing. I'm queuing. But I plan <laughs> to go on to some white wine later. For a now, white wine. A cheeky white wine. A white yeah. wine. All right. So I suppose I should tell us a story. Would you like that? I would love that. Be gracious. Bring it on. Do bro. it. Okay. I'm going to try to. So, yes, because my whole setup is a little different today, I'm working off my Kindle where I put my document. So hopefully I can read it. So if I look like I'm just reading a book, 
children, it's because I am. So I was doing some very lazy research the other day, and by that I mean I was lying on the couch surfing the plethora of streaming services that I have to see if I could find a story that would pique my interest and, of course, that of the trial by wine jury. After looking at a few crime and investigation programs, and like a lot of them were like, oh, you know, just I'm going to say it, I've said it before, but sort of pedestrian-type crimes, you know, (laughs) not not much in it, not much story in it, yeah. I shouldn't say it's terrible, but yeah. But then I came across one that was all from the perspective of the family members of a killer. So the whole series was about what it was like to be the partner or the mother or the whatever of a murderer. Yeah, wow. And it made me think of your comments, Clarky, when I did the Sari Yarborough story and there was a familial DNA match. And you were like, imagine being at Christmas and you don't know which Mm. one of your family is a killer, but you know someone is. In this case, I came across the story of a man called John Trina, or Trainer, who had the great misfortune to meet a young girl one day while she was out walking her dog, and they struck up a friendship that blossomed over time, but more of that in a moment. My sources are crimeandinvestigation.co.uk, murderpedia.org, wikipedia, dailymail.co.uk, theguardian.com, and judiciary.uk. So when John Trainer was 20, or 21, depending on the source, he met 15-year-old Joanna Dennehy and they fast fell in love. Is that ringing any bells for anyone yet? <laughs> no? Well, no. Oh, but the, the only reference that I can pick up on is Dennehy, which mm. Brian Dennehy played John Wayne Gacy in that movie. Oh, oh you but- are lightning fast, my friend. No <laughs> relation whatsoever. But I do like <laughs> Yes, you're right. And no red flags, 15 and 21? No. Oh, I mean, you know, just, just the basics. It's yeah, all yeah. very pedestrian so far. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yes. And, you know, it is a UK story. What what I'm concerned about is you said earlier that it, he had the unfortunate pleasure or something of meeting her, and so I'm wondering whether she's actually the problem, not him. I presume she oh, is. You have understood my language perfectly, my You're friend. innuendo. Oh, That's right. Goodness. All right. Can I just ask Let's one question? What it. year was this, Schmitty? Oh, such a good question. Error? Because I, I asked that only because of the you were asking about or sort of leading us to the 15, 21-year-old, you know, with the age gap. I was like, well, depending on when it was, people would have either thought nothing of it right, or yeah. might think something of it now. 97, 98. Okay. When he okay. met okay. her. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, it's enough to make you uncomfortable back then, I think. John is quick to assure people that no hanky-panky took place until Joanna was a respectable 16 years of age. But given where this story goes, it's neither here nor there, frankly. Also, when I was researching this story, I noticed people like to make a point of him being an older man, you know, at, <laughs> at such a grown-up and mature 21 to her 15. And we know all know that 20-year-olds going out with 15-year-olds raises eyebrows, but 30-year-olds dating 35-year-olds doesn't. So I guess it's all about whether the older person is taking advantage of the innocence of the younger person when we're take when we're talking under twenty one. Yeah. Mm. As will unfold here, John is not the issue. She so is. Joanna was born in nineteen eighty two in St Albans, Hertfordshire. Ooh. In Hertfordshire. Oh, I thought you meant Snorbans in Melbourne. No, not Snorbans, no. In Melbourne. Oh. Snorbans, Hertfordshire. And grew up in nearby Harpenden. The eldest daughter of Kevin and Maria Dennehy, she had a stable and loving upbringing. Her dad was a security guard and her mum a shop manager. And she had a younger sister, Maria, 
who she was very close to growing up. Her parents were strict but not over the top. They just wanted their kids to know right from wrong and to be safe, pretty much as per most parents. Joanna did well at school and played hockey and netball and things were good. However, then she hit her teens and frankly the wheels fell off. She started to dodge school and hang out with older boys. Then she met John and decided to run away with him, which might sound romantic, but they had no money or means to get a house, so basically were homeless. Her parents were frantic about it and sought help to locate them, and eventually they were found living rough on a wasteland, and they were reconciled. But Joanna's behaviour had escalated by this time, and she'd begun taking drugs and drinking heavily. She did go back to school, but reportedly showed up high or drunk. (laughs) At age 16, she dropped out of school and left home again with John, and again they were homeless until they were able to get a council house in Luton and then later on in Milton Keynes. Lovely Milton Keynes. Home of the roundabout, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It, does it I have reckon. a lot of roundabouts? Because it's yeah. got the magic roundabout. No, I think Milton Keynes, either the place that it was sort of, I don't know if it's, it's a, is it, I, It's a design town, is it? Yeah, has it been I designed? Think yeah. I think it something is. like that. Sorry, yeah. the, is that right? Yeah, it's the home of the roundabouts, right? John described the relief he felt about being in a home. Whilst there was no furniture, there was a roof and a door they could lock and feel safe in. Oh, God. He really did not enjoy being homeless or, to use the more modern word, unhoused. <laughs> Joanna. You haven't? Unhoused. Uh, I have not heard, heard this. Unhoused is the more acceptable term because, you know, I'm, I'm the most woke of all of us, obviously. Obviously. I'm the least. It comes, I've, I looked well, it up because it's like, I'm, I'm going to say this. <laughs> and I have to fight for the least. Lo- we, lo- wo- we could have a woke a wo- off. Unwoke <laughs> off. Unwoke off, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think the, the pendulum, is, pendulum is swinging the other way, I think. Um, Stu's Stu just Googled Milton Keynes and it's known for yeah. its roundabouts and concrete cows. Oh, I didn't know the ladder. Concrete cows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Jeez, that'd make tough, tough steak, wouldn't they? <laughs> I've never known that. I've quoted that so many times. Whenever I hear that thing, Milton Keynes, I always go, oh, the home of the roundabout. But is it because it has so many or is it because it was where it was first sort of trialled that they would do traffic management through roundabouts? I don't actually know. For someone who quotes it as often as I feel it's I do. It's known for its roundabouts. I reckon it would have had a lot of them because it was a like a, you know, a, a newly created suburb so they yeah. trucked lots of them in instead of traffic lights the unhoused thing i actually looked it up and it's supposedly better than saying homeless because say you're a person who has no house in ilden ilden is still your home but you are unhoused you don't have a house in it so someone somewhere thought that was a great idea that it removes the stigma of this idea of people being homeless personally uh john called himself homeless so i'm okay with using that too is it similar to like a snail and a slug? Yes, the slug is the unhoused of the two, mm. yes. But it has a home. It still lives in the garden with the snails. There True. you go. That, that, perhaps that you is pull... exactly the point. Yeah. <laughs> if you pull the shell off the back of a <laughs> oh, snail, don't do that. it doesn't, it doesn't become, become a slug, no. Unhoused, it no. It so... becomes dead, yeah. unlived. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, okay. I think we've clarified that now. Good job. Yeah, so Joanna, on the other hand, loved the freedom of being on the fringes of society. At 17, Joanna gave birth to her first child. 
though I did read she was furious at being pregnant and said she never wanted to have children. You know, word to the wise, contraception is free in the UK. 17, she's got nothing on some of the girls I went to high school with. No, no, and I'm not actually complaining about it, but if she said she didn't ever want to have children, then she could have taken some responsibility for that. That's all. Yes, true. And it was at this time she told her parents they'd have to pay to see their granddaughter, which pretty much put paid to that relationship. So she was really acting out with her parents and she sort of ran off with John. John seemed to be pretty, like, normal, obviously not he didn't have a job or whatever, otherwise they wouldn't have been unhoused, but he seemed very devoted to her, you know, just generally kind of that Jack and Diane, two American kids, <laughs> except they weren't, oh, you know. Living on and the wasteland. Yeah. Living on the wasteland. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> well done. You did say wasteland before, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't make two Herefordshire <laughs> kids living in the wasteland. In the wasteland. <laughs> <laughs> Schmitty, you haven't told yeah. us anything that would allude to a, I don't know, an unhealthy upbringing or whatever. No, that there we isn't one. See. No unhealthy upbringing. Perfectly fine. Oh, wow. Lovely parents, lovely sister. Everything at school was great. Described by people around her as, you know, really bright, sunny, lovely child. So she's self-made. She is self-made. Where the story's <laughs> going to go. Okay. At 19, Joanna gave birth to their second child, another daughter. Things were not all smooth sailing, though. John recalled she gave up smoking and drinking whilst pregnant and seemed to be invested in ensuring her kids were healthy, but not long after, giving birth would fall off the wagon. She cheated on John with men and women, would disappear for weeks on end. I seem to recall him saying she took off for nearly a year at one point, but don't quote me as I may be misquoting him. She was very, not very maternal, not that interested in raising the kids, was happier running off having dalliances and doing stuff and then would come home and say, oh, I'm really sorry, you know, help me out and have a shower. I think he said something like, you know, she'd come home, have a shower and a meal, and then a day or two later she'd be out there again. She cheated on him, as I said, and also she would have violent outbursts if she wasn't happy about something, and that was usually when she'd been drinking. So they tried to have a fresh start, moving to East Anglia, but her drinking got worse. She worked as a labourer on farms and would sometimes be paid in alcohol rather than cash. Seriously? <laughs> Fair enough. That's... Well, we were we nearly signed up to that. Mm. Oh, there <laughs> she harmed herself, cutting her arms, body and neck with razor blades and etched a tattoo of a star uh, under her right eye herself. <gasps> oh, my God. What? She's so tormented. Oh. Jesus. That's sort of here on her cheek. She also started indulging in petty crime, including possession of a knife, theft and assault. So her violent tantrums Gateway. became worse. How old is she by this point? 19, 20, yeah, pretty young. She'd kick and punch John when she was drunk and the final straw came one night when she came in the door, sat on the floor, pulled a blade from her boot, stabbing it into the floor saying she could kill someone. John, fearing that it could be him or one of the children she could kill, packed them up and left her in 2009 Rendering her homeless slash unhoused again. <laughs> Good on you, John. Oh, you look, to be fair, he had put up with a lot at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm supportive of what he's done. I'm, yeah. I'm all, I mean, we're so all here for John. That's what I said. John's not the problem. Yeah, we're all team John. And it's funny because what happens next, I don't think John is to blame for any of it, but I did hear a, I was on ITV, I looked at an ITV program. And the reporter was talking to him 
and was kind of saying, so, you know, you had a relationship with her at 16. Do you not think that was a bad idea? Like almost implying that because you've oh, been in wow. a relationship with her at 16 that that may have called, been the trigger He's point. He's done it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the trauma of having children she didn't want or something, but also it does take two to tango and it takes two to make babies. Okay, so her behaviour went from bad to worse. She drifted from address to address in East Anglia, stealing and sometimes turning to prostitution to find her drug. <laughs> sorry, to fund her drug and drink. I thought habit. she was changing dresses for a minute there because she drifted from addresses, address to another dress. Address to address. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's that got to do with prostitution? No. Well, maybe she had to change her dresses a lot. Yeah, maybe that's exactly why. Herself. Yeah. She served time in prison and received some treatment for her mental health problems. In February 2012, after being arrested for theft, Joanna spent a few days in Peterborough City Hospital where she was diagnosed as having an antisocial personality disorder and obsessive compulsive disorder. Out on probation, she was able to find somewhere to live, renting a bedsit. Now, as I understand it, this is one of those property developments where someone buys a house and changes it to be a whole bunch of single room dwellings so they can rent a bunch of rent them all out to a bunch of different people. So say four or six strangers rather than letting the whole house. So they would have had shared bedrooms and basically the bedsit itself was a room with maybe a kitchenette. In this situation, there were at least two other bedsit occupants, John Chapman and Leslie Layton. So it's a pretty tight community. And I got the impression that not to say it was like slumlords had bought all these places and turned them all into these bedsits, but it did appear a bit like that. There was a lot of people in this area. It was, Carla, it was a bit like an, it looked like a bit like an estate in Chippenham or something. So all the houses all looked the same, but they all looked like quite nice houses, but clearly they'd been redeveloped. So they had a lot of people in them or multiple people in them. And everyone seemed to know everyone. It was that kind of estate where everyone knew everyone's Mm -hmm. business. There were people around who knew this John Chapman and they'd known him for a couple of years and they were quite friendly with him and they, they also heard about her because she was not friendly with people, and I'll get on to that in a second. But they recalled hearing stories of her engaging in violent sex with various men. Ooh. And when, you know, this sort of the things that I heard was one bloke, like, punched her while they were having sex, and she'd be like, harder, harder. Yeah, right. So cons- consensual violent sex then. She was into it. She yeah, enjoyed yeah, right. receiving and giving pain. Her John, the ex-husband, boyfriend, recalled her coming in with pins sticking through the skin of her arms. You know, like ah, oh, that's she, nothing. Didn't you used to do that with like safety pins no, through the top of your fingers? No, this is. I was reminded of it the day I saw a meme. Was it's like, oh, kids these days, they don't know how you know. They, I don't know what boredom is. <laughs> like that. you know, when you used to sit there and like put a pin <laughs> yeah. through your skin on your fingers. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Go, oh my god! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm dying. I'm dying. Yeah. Oh, we had a life, didn't we? Absolutely. So one of these women warned John that if he was involved with her, he was playing with fire. They said John was quiet, spending most of his time watching TV and drinking since his wife had passed away a year earlier. John was the tenant of a man named Kevin Lee, who was a landlord in the area, developing these bedsits and renting houses to people who had trouble getting lettings. And generally people said that Kevin was pretty well liked. He had a bit of a soft spot. He helped people out. He he seemed to be an okay guy, even though he was a bit of a slumlord. Kevin was married with children, but admitted to having an affair with Joanna. Those around her said she had a way of drawing men in, 
like she was a drug and they would do whatever she wanted. I don't know, a bit of rough sex with someone that you're not married to, probably pretty easy sell. Like a moth to a flame. <laughs> she, yeah. also, she was able to kind of control men that she wasn't sleeping with either, probably with the idea. Probably fear. That, well, fear and also the idea that they might be able, might get to sleep with her at some they point. They might too. be up for a little bit of, you know, like, yes, rough sex. I heard it described as MP, but not our normal sort. Oh. A magnetic pull. so kevin was using joanna as a rent collector so she was getting his rents for him by threatening people and terrifying them and you know someone talked about the story about her punching a young man hard enough to knock him out and when he got up he, he basically packed up immediately and left because she was so violent and you know, such a terror to people. She was basically a, a loose unit in every way and was terrorising people for his benefit, right, because she's getting anyone who hadn't paid their rent up, she's, she's like, literally he's sending her around instead of sending the boys around. Standover. Yeah, she is, yeah. Mm, nice At some, oh, yeah, Sometime between the 19th and 29th of March 2013, a newly arrived Polish immigrant named Lukasz Slaberswitz met Joanna and they exchanged some sexy texts. Mm. She invited him over some, for some sexy times. Lukash went to her place and they sat around chatting and drinking, gearing up for a romp. She blindfolded him and then with one thrust stabbed him in the heart, oh! killing him instantly. Jeepers. What? That escalated quickly, didn't it? That I did escalate quickly. boxing gloves or something. God. She managed to then dump his body in a wheelie bin, and then she took. Well, she may have had help doing that. All right. And then she took photos of it. She showed a fourteen-year-old girl on the estate the body in the bin, and sadly, the girl didn't report it, probably because she was terrified of Joanna. Why wouldn't be? Yeah. She then enlisted the help of a local criminal friend of hers named Gary Stretch, whose real name is uh, Gary Richards. And he is seven foot three inches tall. (laughs) Hence stretch. And like other men around her, did her bidding. Gary helped her to move the body of Lukash to a remote ditch near Thorny Dyke. Having found... Oh, oh, Wiggers. No, the traditional dyke of the water (laughs) and dam variant. Not the Wiggers type. Not a pejorative term for lesbians. <laughs> Having found she really enjoyed murdering Lukash, on the oh! March, March the 29th, <laughs> Joanna stabbed John Chapman in the throat and chest, killing him. Her ex-husband? What? No, the poor the man in the bedside. The border. Okay, that's right. Yeah. She called Gary again and quoted Britney Spears, Oops, I did it again. <gasps> and again, Gary came to help. And he and Leslie Layton, the other guy in the bedsit, put John in the boot of a Vauxhall Astra. And at some point they dumped him at Thorny Dyke next to Lukash. <gasps> Leslie, the other housemate, said he feared for his life having seen her leave John's room with a bloodied knife. He went into the room to see John lying on his bed, sort of half off it, with blood all around him. He went back to his own room and he drank coffee and he watched TV and he kept his head down. However... The police later found a picture of John's body on his phone 
and he went shopping with a friend that day and returned later. So to suggest he was scared to be there is bullshit. Why did he because, he's not scared? Because his behaviour suggests he's complicit. If you took a photo, like I reckon I would take a photo as proof in case she tried to. Yeah, but he never it showed it. He never showed it to the police. He never talked about his involvement in any of this stuff later when the police were talking to him. Later on, there's a point where Joanna and Gary are basically off out of there. He's got yep. ample opportunity when he's being asked by the police to say, Yes, I did see something. Yes, he's this has happened. Right. He says, Absolutely yep. nothing. And he actually helps to dispose of the body as well. So yeah, he's, right. he's actually complicit. I think that's a good reason. Also, Joanna said she killed John because she was in the bath and he went to use the toilet and he wouldn't leave. But there's some backstory about Kevin Lee evicting everyone from that house so he could renovate it and she had told someone she'd get John Chapman out of there, out of there even if she had to kill him. I don't know. I'm pretty sure that if you came up, you were being questioned and they said, well, what happened? I'm like, well, I was in the bath and he came in and wanted to do a shit and I couldn't cope. People would go, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. That seems like a fair fair reason. Yeah. Well, fair I mean, you might say that that's <laughs> some form of provocation, sure. However, he was found lying on his own mattress in his bedroom where she had basically stabbed him and there were no defensive wounds, which suggests that she'd stabbed him while he was asleep. Oh, so it wasn't a, I've got out of the bath and I'm stabbing yeah. you. Yeah. It's even if he did piss her off on a couple of occasions, she's just wanted to kill him. Later that same day, Kevin Lee you know, the man who is the landlord, owns the places? Yeah. He was lured to the same address by Joanna Mm. as they had arranged an assignation that would involve her dressing him up and raping him. Mm. Well, that's what he told his friend because Kevin liked to share some of the Before he went? Yes. (laughs) Good. Or not good, actually. It would have been better if he talked after. Well, he knew what he was going there for, yeah. okay. But he was sharing some of the more outlandish sexual adventures he'd been having with Joanna and she'd said, Come on, I'm going to dress you up and rape you. If that was the initial plan, things went a bit skew-if as Joanna stabbed Kevin Lee to death. Now, I don't know whether there was some beef there or she got to the point where she needed a bit more than the act of killing someone uh, Mm. to excite her as her MO changed a little bit with this one. She gets Gary and Leslie again to help her put Kevin's body in the Astra and then Joanna drives the Astra while Gary and Leslie take Kevin's car off to a farm And, of course, being caught on CCTV doing so. Sorry. They stopped on the way at um, a services to fill a jerry can with fuel. Little chef? No, that's not services, is it? That's... Oh, yeah, but they're usually like a service station and then the little chef is next to it, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so they they are on their way to this farm. They pull over at the services. They fill up a jerry can with fuel. They get filmed doing it and then they drive to a remote farm where they dump the car and burn it. Then they drive off to another location near Newborough where they dump Kevin's body. That evening, still the 29th of March, the police receive a a report of a car on fire at a farm near Yaxley and quickly determine it belonged to Kevin and the family then report him missing at 10pm. So she killed John Chapman and Kevin Lee in the same day. Don't say she doesn't do much. It's a busy day. It was only by happenstance that a man walking his dog near Newborough on March the 30th came across Kevin's body. It was in a ditch. At first he thought it was a dummy, and I can tell you it's very rarely a dummy, but noticed (laughs) blood and realised something was very wrong and called the police. Part of the reason he thought it was a mannequin 
is the body had been dressed in a black sequin dress, naked from the waist down and posed to expose his buttocks. He was also doused in accelerant but hadn't been burned. Classic mannequin pose, isn't it? Well, I think the, the sequin dress. Sequin dress. dress, dress. <laughs> well, you know, like, yeah, yes, it is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Investigators and psychologists who have looked at this case believe it was to further humiliate him It was all and to get her more of a rush by kind of denigrating the um, corpse. Yep. Because of the weird posing, it seemed likely that whoever had killed Kevin knew him or had a vested interest in humiliating him. So the investigators immediately started to work out who was close to him or who was connected to him. They had a list of all of his tenants and started to investigate. Using mobile cell data, they were able to identify that one of the tenants, Joanna Dennehy, had been in the vicinity of his car when it was set alight. And then another mobile phone in use at the same location but got belonged to Gary Stretch. So now they've got their prime suspects and they went looking for them. Mm-hmm. They went to the home of John Chapman and Joanna Dennehy because, remember, she stayed, it was the one address where there were multiple people in bed sits. No one was there, but there yep. was a bloodstained mattress at the house which needed looking into further. <laughs> the police put out a bulletin looking for Joanna and Gary and they went on the lam. They go to the house of some mate Gary who is, and I think his name is Robert Moore, was besotted, he was also besotted with Joanna, and they stay there for a couple of nights. They go on a bizarre road trip travelling 140 miles from Peterborough to Hereford, which I think is where Gary spent a lot of his time and had contacts there, and I know his grandmother lived there, so he might have been from Hereford originally and that's why he decided he'd go back there. On the way, they rocked up to an old school friend of Joanna's, Georgina Page, and told and Joanna told her she'd killed three men. <laughs> when they saw... <laughs> Oh, have you been? Oh, you look exhausted. Oh, I am. I tell you, I've just honestly, been, I tell you, <laughs> you wouldn't believe. You, oh, I've been speed been killing. A, it's so it's tiring. Been a, it's, it's it's been a time. Yeah. <laughs> would, they would, Do you know any good men that I you could don't know? Uh, you don't get know. You just with? don't know until you've done it yourself. Oh, I used to. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, Swanee. You can't judge it. You can't judge no, it. No, you don't know. You've no idea. You've got, how tiring is. You've got no. Yeah. It's exhausting. Absolutely right. When they saw the police were looking for them on the TV and that, she jumped around like a schoolgirl and likened herself and Gary to Bonnie and Clyde, who, in case anyone doesn't know, were also psychopathic murderers. They basically threatened Georgina that they'll kill her and her family if she says anything, so she doesn't. Why tell people so that you can threaten them and tell them not to say anything? She's loving people knowing. She's... Like she's she's high on the power of it. She's all, high she's on a, the power yeah. of it. She mm. can do anything. She's, she's such very a loose dangerous. Unit. She? She's ah. exceptionally dangerous. Yes, yes. Mm. No one's but, safe. The fact that she's not at all trying to be deceptive or cunningly sort of like discreet about any of it. It's all yeah. about putting it out there to scare everybody and think, "Fuck, I could be next. I better toe the line." She is very scary. Baby, you ain't heard nothing yet. (laughs) Oh, oh no. No. Oh, God. No. Buckle up. They move on and on their way they steal some stuff from the services and a local policeman who happened to be there managed to get their number plate from the Vauxhall they were in, which incidentally was bought by Joanna using money that Kevin Lee lent her. And it was the same car that was used to dispose of his body. So poor Kevin Lee gave her the money for her to... Lent. No, no, he did. He gave her the money. She bought this car and she used it to uh, dispose of his body. 
on recognising the thieves from the police appeal because that was the thing she was so excited by because she saw that there was an appeal to look for her. He rang it in and the police were then able to track them, right? So, you know, I can't remember what it's called. Swanee, you might remember. Yeah. You know, every motorway, uh, there's cameras. The whole It's not just CCTV. They've got a whole network where yeah, they yeah, can yeah, actually yeah, yeah. look at number Watch plates. Yep. And so they're able to track this car. They yeah. have CCTV footage of quite a lot of the journey of these, okay. people, these two. But they're broke, right? And so they go off and steal more stuff, including a camera, which they then use to take pictures of themselves on their sicko road trip. So they just like stop off every now and then. Take some selfies. Take a selfie. Yeah. <laughs> There's this weird photos of her, like she's got her top up and she's like, ah, you know, tongue out. And then he's seven, remember, seven foot three, big pop belly, and he pulls his top up. He's got this photo with his big pop belly out. It's just weird, mm. right? It's like they're having such a good time. We're having the best holiday of our lives. Or they think we're definitely going to get caught, so we might as well just do whatever the fuck we want, right? So as they need to get money, they need to fence the goods and Gary has a mate of a mate who they contact to get money. Enter stage left, Mark Lloyd. So Mark's just this friend of a friend contact who knows how to get rid of stuff and sell it on and get cash, right? He knows a man knows things, does he? He's got no, three man, days man left to live. Well, <laughs> they go to Mark's place and as he's looking at the stolen stuff, Joanna pulls a knife on him and tells him she's killed three people and she wants to oh. kill more. He recalls how Gary was so enamoured of Joanna that he would do anything for her, even though he was literally massive and he could have easily overpowered her. Also, according to Mark, Gary showed him that he had a gun on him. So if he was frightened of Joanna, he could have threatened her with a gun. But the point is he wasn't scared of her. He was completely complicit in going along for the ride. This is stretch, right? And I think he was in love with her. Mark, on the other hand, was terrified of both of them. With good reason. Absolutely. Mind my own business. Someone rings up and says, oh, look, there's this bloke. He wants to sell some gear. You know how to do it. No problem. Come on down. The next thing you know, Jesus, you've got one person with a gun, another crazy bitch with a knife telling you she's murdered people. Anyway, Joanna tells Mark, that he has to get them into Hereford to sell the gear so they can get money. So the three of them get in the car. Joanna's in the passenger seat, Stretch is driving, and Mark is in the back seat. Joanna is drinking in such a fashion as to make us look like teetotals. At this point, and her partner, John, said that she would drink, and I feel like it must be an exaggeration, but something like two one-litre bottles of vodka a day. And at this point, she she drank what? half a bottle of whiskey that morning while this was going on. So wow, they're just on a road trip. She's not out slashing, but she's clearly got not that she remembers. She's got clearly built up an incredible kind of um, resistance, if you like, to alcohol. Yeah, tolerance. tolerance yeah. yeah. So Mark is thinking he's going to be killed either by being stabbed or by being made to drink so much whiskey he thinks that it'll kill him. Because as she's drinking this bottle of whiskey, she's forcing him to drink it too. She then insists that they stop for fags because she's like, have you got any fags? And he's like, no. So they stop at a little shop and they're in the shop and in the CCTV footage from the shop, you've got Mark standing at the counter talking to the shop assistant and Joanna's behind him and she's got her arms, she's stood behind him, but she's got her arms around him and you would think that it's sort of like a loving embrace. In reality, she's holding a knife to his kidneys so that he doesn't try and say anything or make a move. 
and then he sort of he's, he said that he was worried that he was, she was going to attack the shop assistant or try and steal something. Instead, she starts talking to the shop assistant, complimenting her on how she's got a lovely ass. She's like, turn around, let me have a look. Oh. She's incredible in this sort of coquettish and flirtatious way she has that sort of throws people off guard. And this is the MP, the magnetic pool. Anyway, so poor Mark's like, this is ridiculous. They get the fags and they get out of there. Mark is just trying to survive the worst afternoon ever. Back in the car, she tells Gary she wants to have more fun. So, you know, they've been stealing things. Gary was a thief and he enjoyed that, like, you know, got a bit of a thrill out of stealing stuff. She says something like, you've had your fun, now I'm going to have some fun. It's my turn. Enough of this steely oh, malarkey. No. Let's get on to some more. Yeah. <laughs> my kind of murdering. Yeah. yeah. But she does stipulate that she doesn't want to kill any women or children or women who have children. Oh. She just wants to kill men. And yeah. some people have said that bad. it's because she thinks that women weren't enough of a challenge and kids, they're just easy, whereas, you know, killing a man is the big challenge. So Gary is looking for a victim for her as they drive around and he sees a guy walking a dog and he says, will he do? She oh. jumps out of the car, runs up to him from behind and stabs Robin Beretta. So this is this is where I can't handle this crime or what you're going to say. As you it. said, she is... So dangerous. This is She's my so not. Dangerous. This is the kind of shit so that goes loose. through my head. Of all the crimes I do, these are ones that I can't cope with. They're random. So ones. fucking random, and you're walking down the street, and someone yeah. comes and ducks just you. for no apparent reason. I can't cope. Yeah, yeah, this is really disturb, disturbing. Oh, yeah, three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, you know, broad daylight, walking his dog, <sighs> minding his own business, and attacked. Oh, fuck, I hate this woman. This I is, hate this woman. That's okay. Hold on to that. Taken from the sentencing remarks made by Mr. Justice Spencer, when he turned to face you and asked what on earth you were doing, you told him, I want to hurt you, I'm going to fucking kill you. He tried to fight you off, kicking out at you. You pursued him into the road, continuing the attack, but eventually you did desist, probably because of the arrival of another car at the scene waiting to turn into a side road. So she got scared off by another car. Yeah. She did stab him twice and it did nearly kill him, but he managed to survive. Hurrah! Yeah. I needed that. Wow. She he she, needed that. <laughs> she, though, thinks that she killed yeah, yeah. him and she jumps back in the car, right? So she's like, woohoo, I've killed another one. She's in the car. Woo! Four! Bitches. Five <laughs> minutes later. Five minutes later. She's at it again, stabbing another dog walker. What? Again, she, and relax on this one, Shay. Okay. <laughs> she runs up Thank behind you. John Rogers. She loves a John. <laughs> who is minding his own business. This time, though, she goes nuts. She stabs him repeatedly in the back, and when he's down, she turns him over and stabs him repeatedly in front. Both of his lungs collapsed. What? His bowel was perforated. He oh. suffered nine fractured oh. ribs and defense oh. wounds to his hands and arms. In total, he was stabbed over 30 times. Oh, my God, she's an animal. As John Sorry, that was me talking to my hands. Apologies. That's all right. I heard you. As John... Felt his lifeblood drain from him. Oh. He dragged himself because he was actually in like a, a walkway, the way I think of it. It's a walkway yeah. between, from the end of a cul-de-sac. And they yeah. picked it on purpose because they knew it would be secluded and an easy Ooh, place to do it. Give me a bit of post-traumatic stress there. He drags himself 100 yards out to basically the road from where that yeah. path comes out of us. And a passerby finds him. Yeah. Calls the uh, paramedics who yeah. arrive, give him expert medical attention, and miraculously he survived the attack. 
Oh my god, that's so bad. Yes, so good that his father that 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 what she's done is horrendous. And both both of those men, of course, have post traumatic stress from it. You know, ongoing issues. Poor John was a musician. I think one of them was a big musician, and and because he stabbed him in the hand, cut his nerves and stuff, he can't play guitar anymore. So you know, it's as any violent attack. It's had long term repercussions on the individuals, but you know, happily they're not dead. So I saw an interview with Mark Lloyd where he recounts what he watched as she stabbed these innocent men and there is no mistaking the psychological impact it had on him. He's he's near tears when he's talking about it. It, it, It's almost like it's replaying in his head and he said something like, look, I've seen violence in my life, you know, this is a man who fences stolen property but it's like nothing I've ever known. Like I've never seen anything like this. And, of course, Mark didn't realise these two people survived either. As far as he was concerned, she'd killed these two men in broad daylight in front yeah, of him. Yeah. In an absolute frenzied yeah. attack kind of thing. It'd be and, horrific. of course, while it's going on, Mark's shouting at Gary to let him out of the car because he's got, like, the child locks on. He can't get out of the back seat. And oh. he's like, get us out of here. This is bad. And apparently Gary turned around, grabbed him sort of like here on the neck of the shoulder and just said, there's nothing you can do. Just sit there. So crazy Joanna yes. gets back in the car with John Rogers' dog. That's right. She nicked the guy's dog. Oh. And now she says, oh, it's my only friend. She's really big on this dog. But she tells Gary she wants to do more. She's having such a good time and wants to kill at least nine people to match Bonnie and Clyde. Mark Mm. can hardly believe what's happening in front of him and Gary's just doing everything he can to please Joanna. Now, fortunately, the police are closing in at this point and they can hear sirens everywhere. Mark said I could hear ambulances and police you know like it was just it was like they were everywhere around us and can you imagine though if they weren't close to them how many more people she would have killed or attacked and randomly um if the police hadn't been so close in tracking them but like any town in the uk there are a lot of voxels and a lot of people so it's not super (laughs) easy to find someone having said that when the people you're chasing don't actually seem terribly bothered to be caught it's a bit easier very anticlimactically, two beat police officers spotted Joanna sitting in a green voxel that matched the description of the one that had been seen in connection to the random stabbings and a murder. She was waiting for Gary, who was off trying to fence the stolen goods again, what they'd come in, into Hereford for in the first place. They also noticed her lovely star tattoo on her face, which kind of gave the game away. So they walked up to the car and arrested her. That easy? It sounds very season eight of Game yes, of Thrones. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so as Gary, who was not the sharpest knife in the drawer, was hanging oh. out with his mates who happened to be known associates, the police didn't take long to track him down driving around in a Renault. They stopped the car and Gary got out and ran a bit and then gave himself up as the police arresting him were a firearms team. He told them he was Britain's most wanted. Oh. So they take him into custody and there's some footage of Joanna being booked into custody at the police station. She's all calm and happy. Remember, she's had half a bottle of whiskey that morning. And she's flirting with the police officers to the point where they look quite embarrassed. And then she's also flirting with one of the female officers too. So she's, you know, not funny about this. I've just had a look at a picture of her. Holy shit. Oh, oh where did you I've decided not to have just oh, looked. She's, she's rough. rough. She's, she's rough. rough. The one with yeah. the knife? The one with the knife yeah. with the beanie on? Oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh, no. The, Those handcuffs. photos, though, are the photos that they took on their road trip, I believe. The one where she's got a top of her, can't oh, She's got handcuffs and everything. She's got handcuffs That's hanging me. from the belt of her pants or something. It's weird. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, she's having this, like, super flirt, 
she's saying, oh, where's the dog? Oh, he's a lovely boy, you know, that he's a lovely dog. He's, he's the best. She's wearing a big, I'm assuming it's some kind of standard issue clothing to go into prison or go into custody. Yes. And she says, oh, look at this, you know, what do I look like in this? And one of the policemen says, oh, I think you're all right. And she turns and looks at him and she goes, oh, thanks. I needed that. It's it's almost oh. like you feel like you need a wash afterwards, you know. Like oh, it's, yeah. It's just like the pheromones are just ridiculous. It's, anyway, so lots of people commented as well. She's displaying behaviour that had such a hold around the other men in her life and who've committed all these terrible acts to make her happy, except for poor Mark who was unwittingly drawn into the whole thing. So she goes into interview, you know, the actual official interview, and she no comments the whole thing. She's assigned a very proper and a very good barrister who also remarked on her masterful manipulation, and he's the one who used the term magnetic pull, not magic pussy. <laughs> she was so charming when he met her initially, he thought he was in the wrong cell with the wrong inmate. The case goes to court and everyone's expecting a drawn-out trial where the details of the crime are laid out and yeah. some of the gaps get filled because, you know, everyone thinks she's going to say no guilty, no, not guilty. When Mr Justice Spencer asks her how she pleads and she stands up, she yells repeatedly, guilty, 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 guilty. Because she loves it, right? Yep. But it comes as a surprise to everyone, including her poor barrister. As a result, the case turns from proving her guilt to determining the severity of crimes for sentencing. Now, this case is interesting because she, Gary, Leslie Layton and Robert Moore are all tried in this one same case. Do you want me to recap on ah. them? So Gary Stretch, obviously. Leslie Layton is the other guy in the bedsit yep. who helped uh, dispose of John Chapman's body and yep. Kevin Said Lewis. he didn't do anything. Yeah, the two of them. And Robert Moore, who I had to really spend a bit of time trying to work out who he was, he's the guy that they went and stayed at for two nights and he's up for basically not just harbouring fugitives, but he gave them information about what was being reported on the case. And when the police came to him to say, do you know anything, he lied to the police. So I think he gets like perverting the course of justice was the charges that he had against him. And I think the most chilling admission that Joanna made in the court was the statement where she said, I killed to see how it felt, to see if, it was as, if I was as cold as I thought I was. And then it got Moorish, Moorish. Oh, that's the wrong use words. of the She's word. She's completely destroyed the okay. word Moorish for me. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. no. Uh, you know, I like to think of cheese or oh. salt and vinegar oh, crisps yeah. or chocolate or food-related things are more Moorish. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. and to her, that's the point, right? Killing is an indulgence. Oh, yeah. Wrong. So the official judiciary, after much consideration, which is all documented at www.judiciary.uk, sentenced the four of them. Gary got life with a minimum of 19 years. Yep. Leslie got 14 years with release at seven and a home licence. So he has to do seven years in prison and then he gets sort of on this Home licensing, yeah. House arrest kind of thing, yeah. Kind of thing. And Robert Moore gets three years for his part in it. Now, Joanna has become the third female in UK history to get a whole life order, which means there's no opportunity of release ever. It's proper life. Rose West and Myra Mm. Hindley are the other two. 
Gary also ha- has a record of his own now. He's the tallest prisoner in a UK jail. <laughs> He'd be banging his head a lot, wouldn't he? Bed doesn't fit. No. Joanna Carla, <laughs> to your point, has been described as the most dangerous woman in the UK prison system. Yes. And if you don't believe it, she served 18 months in solitary confinement after an escape plot was found in her diary. She was planning to murder a police, uh, sorry, a prison oh, sure. officer, yep. cut their finger off and use it to fool the biometric security system. Oh, my God, he's gross. Blimey. <laughs> and that is the story of the Peterborough Ditch Murderer, I think it was called. That it's was excellent. Ditch. She's horrendous. That was, that was excellent. That's a mm. lot. Yeah, that was you know, I wasn't expecting it to be. Well, it's amazing. It's, so it's like you know. It's like when I think I think oh, I've heard of them all, and then I go, oh my god, how have I not? How do I not know? I've this? never heard of this one either. How can I not know this? I know, right? And I had the same reaction. I was like, I've never heard of this woman. And then the no. more I listened to the story, because the first one I watched was, um, I think it's called A Killer in the Family. It was on Foxtel, and that was John. It was all done from John Trainer's the original partner's point of view where he's got the kids he's got the kids like she's violent she's a crackpot whatever yeah right he does everything he can the kids and he move away to try and stay away from her and then next he's got the police knocking on the door saying your ex-girlfriend's you know running around killing people he's like what and and then it's a bit about his story about he tries to protect well in fairness it's not that he didn't try to protect his daughters but he just said, I just had to tell them the truth. They've got the internet. They can look it up themselves. You know, I mm. think I yep. think he, the, the eldest girl was about 11 at the time or something that this happened. can't remember for sure. And then I've done some other reading since then. Joanna has apparently decided to marry a female inmate from prison, but then she was trying to, she was on with another one. It's all a bit confusing. But anyway, she's having some love stuff going on in prison. She's had... People write her letters, you know, professing their love to her. So the magnetic pull is still there. Stretch writes her letters too or has written her letters professing how much she's in love with her. So she'll never be released, which is good because she's a danger to society. She is a psychopath, a, a real bona fide psychopath, yeah. It's a good one. She's I mean, it's extraordinary. Scary. Oh, I know it is. Wow. I can't believe how scary she is. It is extraordinary. When you were like, this is so terrifying. You know, this woman could do anything. It's my I'm worst like, well, nightmare. Hang on a minute. Hold She's on. about to stab some dog walkers. Strap, strap in. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Right. Sentencing? Fuck. There was a bit of an outcry also because she was on probation <laughs> when her murder spree <laughs> took place. Oh, no. But she was on probation for theft, right? And... You know, she didn't show up to her. She missed a few appointments with her probation officer, et cetera. But I don't think that, yeah, we like, we've talked about gateway crimes, right? We, we talk about that. But, but I think at some point or other, she decided to kill that poor Polish guy, Lukash. I don't know why, right? It makes no sense to me. The timeline is they say between the 19th and the 29th, she killed him. So we don't know exactly when he was killed. But on the 29th, she then killed John Chapman and Kevin Lee. It's like a switch goes off or something and she just, or she does the first one and that's it, it's easy, I can do this. I think Mark Lloyd or one of one of the people, like either John or one of them, I think it was Mark Lloyd said, it's like she killed that guy and she didn't vomit, she wasn't upset, she actually mm. enjoyed it 
And she so she set out to do Moorish. It was Moorish. Moorish. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Oh, it's oh. awful, awful. Moorish sounds like it would be a word it's being so used bad. about a recipe in the Australian Women's Weekly. I know. Oh, they're Moorish. Oh, oh, a packet of Tim oh, Tams. Moorish. Rumbles are Moorish. Oh, God. Oh, I don't know. I don't know how to. Um, mm. I'm still in shock. So am I. I, don't, I actually don't know where to go. It's so macabre. I don't. And it, it, there's just no beating around the bush. It's so it happening so quickly. Do you know what I mean? It's not drawn out where we've yeah, had a lot of time yeah. to where she's gone back into this and done. No, no, no. It's yeah. like, hey, I've got a taste for it. Let's get going. Bang, spree. bang, bang. Spring. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I must say, I think in terms of the court sentencing, the court sentencing's actually made sense. I was quite pleased with oh, that. So that's where I think we're struggling. So I don't feel like there's been any. Yeah. Disservice done to anybody. No, no. Well, the actual, right. um, the official judiciary has done their job 100%. Yeah. Justice Spencer's done a yeah. bang up job of just saying no. And if you want to read it, he, he takes them to task. Like the, the sentencing remarks are a fantastic read, frankly. He describes in it his perception of what he thinks has happened. And, and he does explain why Les, because. I'm a bit like you on Leslie, the the bloke who helped move the bodies. Like, why did he get what felt like quite a harsh sentence? Mm. But when you read the remarks from the um, sentencing judge, he really he, he points out that when you dumped Kevin Lee's or John Chapman's body, you would have seen Lukash's body because they're dumped next to each other. Literally, yeah. mm. the police talked yeah, about no. how when they found those, found them, so they were found on April third. Mm-hmm. So Kevin Lee's body, but Kevin Lee goes missing on the night of the 29th. By the 30th, they've worked out the connection to Joanna and what's his face, and they go on the lam. They're investigating that and they're the suspects for that. They only connect them to the other two after they find their bodies after the 3rd of April. But their bodies were left literally like one guy, poor guy, is in the Thorny Dyke. They put them next to each other. It's it's extraordinary. There's two people. Again, I think they were found by dog walkers. Dog walkers have fared poorly in this story. Oh, yes. Really poorly, yes. You're either finding the victims or you are I have one. to say, now that I think about it, though, we should do something like dog walkers as a group have a quite a pivotal role in the UK. People always find they shit do. when they're out walking their dogs. Because the dogs sniff it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, through paths and back alleys. Yep. Kevin yep. Lee's body, the, woods. the man said the dog ran down into the ditch like it did every other day yep. and it came out but then it went back and it was sort of staying there and that's what made him go and have a look. Otherwise mm. he wouldn't have paid any attention. Yeah. But, I mean, dog walkers find bits of people here too in Australia. I feel like it's a real English thing though. <laughs> they did a lot of it. I don't know how these people find each other. Yeah, water finds its own level. I'm I'm so, I'm so shocked that, you know, they can go, hey, if I kill someone, would you hide the body for me? I like, know we joke about it, but we wouldn't. That's I don't right. Know. <laughs> right? I mean, no, I'd but also if it was. Fuck you over straight up. If Absolutely. you were. <laughs> it, it's completely without reason. There's no provocation. There's nothing that. <clears throat> I mean, I know you said that there was the, the shit next to the bath and, you know, that's <laughs> got to be pretty traumatic, but it, it doesn't equate to murder. No. Um, my housemate shat on my bath what? mat once. I didn't stab him. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> and another one uh, pissed oh, on uh, it. You didn't? No. What? I've had one housemate shat on the bath mat and the other one pissed <laughs> on it. Not at the same time, over, over the course of 
different events. Were they mucking their territory? I think they're both alcohol related. <laughs> let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh. Yeah, so like I don't know how they find each other. I'm shocked that there's no like the thing about her and Swanee, you were talking about this, just it's it's unprovoked, it's completely it's random. Disgusting. She's so loose with her yeah. actions. Yeah. I, I don't. I'm not a fan of the death penalty, but I, you know, you can see someone like that. I kind of go. She has no worth to to society. No this is role. Kind of to weighing play. to the next person who some accents made and she'll she'll slaughter them. Like imagine working around yeah. her or near her or anything to do with her. Oh my god! You could god. never trust her to not attack you. Oh. No, I mean the world is better without her in it, and I I think at least she's locked up for all of her life. But but I am a bit concerned about yeah. you know she's already plotting escape attempts and stuff like yeah you yeah. know I tell you, I've got a sentence for her. Do you remember Superman? I think it was the second or third film. There's a sentence that they had for really bad criminals from Planet Krypton. Yes, where they. And the special effects were, you know, of the time, so they weren't as good as they are now. But they had these three baddies in what looked like a piece of crystal or something. So they got sort of frozen in it and then pushed out into space. And so they were floating around for eternity. And then, of course, it didn't really work because they fell to Earth. And then they, was it the second or the third one? Anyway, something like that, where we we sort of freeze her in something. And as you say, this Earth is better without her. So we'll just send her off frozen Hmm. into space somewhere. Yeah, that that we spoke about this once before with banishing people and how back in the day that would have, you could see why people or why communities did that. Yeah, but you've got to be sure you've banished her to somewhere that she can't hurt anyone, right? Because. Yeah, right. Yeah, if she just walks far enough, she can come across someone else to kill. She just needs to, I think my punishment will be that she loses her MP. And I don't know how that will or will not work, but she needs to be. All the things that she used to be able to leverage to get people's attention and or them on side or, yeah. them, you know, their defences down or attracted to her, that, that is like every other person where it doesn't work in life is a big struggle. So she has that, uh, to take that away. So then if she's got no. We're just fast forwarding her till she's, what, 45, 50 <laughs> at my age. When, yeah, exactly. She's become invisible. invisible now. Correct. That's right, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's, let's put her into menopause, shall we, and see yeah. how then she fares. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I mean, that's why I think for someone like that who's been able to trade on that and everything has worked as a result of this yeah. magnetic pull. It's not pull. I won't say personality. It's not really personality, is it, that she can have people do things for her yeah. and be scared of her or, or or think, oh, my gosh, you know, she's she's big or she's powerful, she did nothing. She's got nothing. And it is also really important that she's not, that people aren't looking at her and think, oh, she did all this and she did all those crimes because she'd still get She some, loves the notoriety yeah, of it. She That's can't right. have any of that. She just has to be. Unknown. Unknown and without any gravitas or power or magnetism. All of that has to go. And with no story, so she's just fucking nobody. Mm. Nobody, no one's interested, just nothing. Doesn't quite match up, yeah. does it, to someone who would have, you know, <laughs> gutted people, well, no, dog walkers, it, given the chance. I'm wondering about giving her a frontal lobotomy just to put her in a, I don't want her to feel any joy and because the way she gets joy is clearly not the way everyone else gets joy. So, so you're going to send her to the of, um, mental hospital of one flew over the cuckoo's nest? 
Well, I haven't seen that, man. but I guess something like that's that. That's exactly what happens in that. Yeah. Well, then that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I think I think something where she does get something. So she's she's still alive, but she can't plot her escape. She can't murder people. She doesn't have a a happy life because I, I feel I like even in prison she would find ways to have fun. <laughs> yeah, menopause. Yeah, menopause. Menopause. <laughs> no, yeah. I do not. Yeah. I do the not. only thing that the only thing mm. that didn't quite add up was when you said that she could matter. I think you could probably still matter, but no, it's like she no joy, no this. I was like, oh yeah, menopause. <laughs> Menopause. menopause nailed it. All right. Well, I'm going to send her to a menopause <laughs> then in, a, in the one flew over the cookies nest. Like the double okay. whammy. All, right. All bases covered. Excellent. All right. Well, I've, I've sent her to space. You sent her to menopause, both of you, in some way or the other. And she's yep. vanished. Beautiful. Yep. Excellent. All right. Well, that was shocking, Schmitty. I know. It was a good one. A, I mean, yeah, a bad shocker. A good one. Yeah. 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 I feel a bit sick in the stomach. I just, like you, I'd never heard of it and thought, I can't believe I've never heard of this, especially the randomness. But anyway, all right, well, thanks for joining. And as we say every week, miss you already. Ciao. Bye. Ciao. Thanks for listening to Trial by Wine. You can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com. Please rate, review and subscribe to Trial by Wine on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com, Trial by Wine, or visit our website, www.trialbywine.com, to donate to us. Your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences. We really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us. Our cover art is by John Christo and music is by Beauchamp from pixabay.com.